David. Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy desire with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. Let's pray. As we mentioned last week, David has called himself and the people of God to bless Jehovah. And he's listed, when he said, forget not all his benefits, he's given us this list that uh, happily Isaac Watts followed rather closely. This list of the benefits that we receive that the people of God's grace receive from him. And it doesn't seem to be accidental at all that the first one that is mentioned by the man after God's own heart is the forgiveness of iniquity, forgiving all thine iniquities, David has pronounced. And it's in the present tense, forgiveth. It's not who has forgiven or who will forgive, but it's who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Glorious reality of the present tense. But we ask, from whence arose this terrible problem of iniquity? And from whence shall arise gracious forgiveness? of which the psalmist is speaking. <clears throat> the problem, as we well know, originated to our understanding from the scriptures in Genesis 2:17. God told our first parents, he told Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Or dying, thou shalt die. Paul has corroborated this warning, this pronouncement, this curse upon evil if it's done. In Romans 5, when he said, Therefore, as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death passed unto all men, for that all sinned. 
this problem of iniquity, this problem of sin arose almost immediately as far as our finite minds can perceive reading the scriptures. David confessed original sin in that famous penitential Psalm 51 when he said, confessing, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He came from his mother's womb with that sin, with that iniquity, that original sin. And he confesses also in Psalm 38, 4, he confesses his own sin, his personal sin, we might call it. <clears throat> Sins that he has actually committed in person. He confesses, mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Surely in one sense or another, in one degree or another, each of us has found ourselves in that situation of which David speaks, iniquities gone over our head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for us. Because even one sin against an absolutely holy God is a burden that we cannot bear, is an iniquity that goes over our head. The plight of man. From Eden's fall, we died. We were cast out of the garden. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, in effect, we were cast out of the garden as well. We were in a bad position, and our condition was bad. Bad doesn't even get to the intensity of the sadness and the uh, horror of the condition and the position that we were in with regard to that original sin. And then to add to it the heavy burdens of our own sins committed against our God. We were put outside. And as the pronouncement was in that day, dying he shall die. Spiritually we were born dead in sins and trespasses. We had no spiritual life and we were outside, on the outside, outside of God. And we read that in Genesis, subsequent account, we read that after casting out Adam and Eve, God barred access to the tree of life with a flaming sword. He barred access to life. Well, what are we going to do? What is man to do? What can man do? Is there anything at all that man can do? He's dead. He's barred from the tree of life by a flaming sword. His position and his condition are both desperate, incredibly desperate. Paul has told us the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of and righteousness of men. So there we are in this condition and in this position and the wrath of God is over our heads. 
revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And in the condition and position we're in, we can do nothing but commit ungodliness and unrighteousness. There we were under God's wrath. A sword of Damocles, as it were, hanging by a hair. Something like, I suppose, that famous sermon of Jonathan Edwards, hanging over the pit of hell by a spider web or by a single horse's hair, that sword waiting to fall, and what can we do about it? What are we to do about it? I think Job's question in Job 9.2 is straight to the point. When he raised this issue, how can man be just with God? How? We're born in sin and iniquity. Born in iniquity and conceived in sin. How can we be just with God? Is the question Job asked. And again, I'm certain that at some point in time, each of us ask ourselves, how can I be just with God? Who by nature can do nothing but sin. We are totally bankrupt. We have bankrupted ourselves. Adam and Eve bankrupted us, and then we bankrupted ourselves. We're destitute. No life. No strength. Absolutely destitute. My mind came to that passage in Matthew 18 about that man that couldn't pay his debt. And he begged for mercy, but that wicked servant who had received mercy from his Lord cast him into prison till he should pay that which was due. Made me think of, and I'm sure it wasn't just England, but I've read about debtors' prisons in old England. And whenever I've heard about them, I haven't studied them. It's not all that exciting to study. But when I've just thought about them, how in the world can someone pay a debt when they're in prison? What is the sense of a debtor's prison? Did you ever wonder about that? How did that work? They're cast into prison for a debt. And I don't know if they had work programs in those prisons, but I doubt it. But there's a problem. We've cast ourselves into prison, as it were. And the debt's never going to be paid because we can't do it. It seems a picture of the plight of natural man apart from the grace of God. We owe a debt to God. A terrific, incredible debt, but we have not with all to pay. That's the plight of man. That's the plight that we faced once. And that's the plight of all sinners apart from God. Paul expressed it again so accurately when he re related to those who had been saved by the grace of God, speaking to them in Ephesians 2, 
He reminds them that they were all dead through their trespasses and sins. And so we were all dead at one time through our trespasses and sins. Now it's even worse. You're not only in debtor's prison, but you're dead. How are you ever going to get out? What can you do? Where were we? When we were found, trusting that each of us in this room of age has been found, well, obviously we were lost. What was our condition before God intersected our lives with his grace? Again, we were bankrupt, we were dead. So we were lost and we were dead. And what is our situation now by God's grace? Well, we're alive in Christ. We're no longer dead. We're dead to our sins, but we're alive in Christ. We've been found. We've experienced the regeneration of our hearts. And we've been found. Praise God. There's a graphic description, I believe, that might help us to remind ourselves of our terrible condition, our plight before God, our plight, the plight of man under the wrath of God. In Ezekiel 16, I realize that God is speaking through Ezekiel primarily of Israel, but I believe that it speaks of our natural condition as well, that which we are born unto. That which we find ourselves in before we find, or God finds us. In Ezekiel 16, again, the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of the Canaanite. The Amorite was thy father, and thy mother was a Hittite. Our father was Adam, and our mother was Eve, and we're lost and undone. And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to cleanse thee, thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. Nobody really cared for us. And many of us didn't even care for ourselves, spiritually speaking. Because we were dead. Because we were helpless. No eye pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou was cast out in the open field. And there's the connection that really jumped out at me. Cast out. Cast out with Adam and Eve out of the garden. For that thy person was abhorred in the day that thou wast born. And then we read, And when I passed by thee, and saw thee weltering in thy blood, I said unto thee, Though thou art in thy blood, live! Yea, I said unto thee, Though thou art in thy blood, live! By God's grace, many of his chosen 
many of those that have been placed in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the world have experienced that. God passing by, seeing us in our desperate condition, of course, knowing all about it, but saying, live. I say unto thee again, live. And we lived. We were given new hearts with the gifts of repentance and the gift of faith. We were brought to newness of life. Live. But before that, we were on the outside. Not on the outside looking in because we weren't even looking in. We didn't care. And we couldn't see anyway. We were simply on the outside. We were lost and without Christ in the world. What did we do to change that? What did we do? Absolutely nothing. What would we ever do if given the time? Absolutely nothing. What would we ever do? Nothing. Man is helpless. He has made himself so. I know that the Arminian wants to complain that God wouldn't command anything that we couldn't do so that we ought to be able to believe without any help. We ought to be able to believe the gospel because we're commanded to do so. And God wouldn't command us to do something that we couldn't do. But these people are also dead in their sins and trespasses. And they are like people that claim that they have no responsibility to work, to get a job, because they have cut off their own arms. They have brought it on themselves, in other words. Absolutely helpless to save themselves. In Hebrews 12, we read, we've been hearing about Esau on Thursdays. We read in Hebrews 12 about Esau. You remember how we were taught that he sold his birthright for a mess of pottage or a mess of meat and some venison he sold it. And then he wanted it back. That Jacob was able, through deception, yes, but he was able to get the blessing from his father, Isaac, that belonged to him because he had purchased it. Foolish Esau had sold his birthright and had no right to the blessing of his father, the blessing of God. And we read in Hebrews 12 how even though he cried, he, they say, the author of Hebrews says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one mess of meat sold his own birthright. And listen to this, for you know that even when he afterward desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place for a change or no place for repentance. In his father, though he sought it diligently with tears, he had disowned the birthright. He had disowned the covenant, and tears won't get it. And I know that in a lot of man-made revivals, there are a lot of tears, but they don't get it. God is the only one that can save. 
Some writers, just a few I admit, but some writers have likened the situation with Adam and Eve as, as them having something like a marriage contract with God. But they broke it. They broke. They broke it when they ate of the forbidden fruit and God cast them out. God divorced them and threw them out of the house. Now all their seed have also been thrown out of the house. So where does man turn? Reconciliation, marriage counselors, join Alcoholics Anonymous. What are some of the methods that men prescribe when things go wrong, when your marriage isn't going right, when your life isn't going right? Clean up your act, get religious, join a church, become an usher, a deacon maybe. That might help. Get yourself saved by good works. I dislike that expression, get saved. Because we don't get saved, we are saved by the grace of God. There's nothing that we can get, nothing that we can do. Is that the answer? Get yourself saved by good works. Turn over a new leaf, is that the answer? The answer is to be found in Job again. Job who said, how can man be right with God? How can man be just with God? We find the answer in Job 33, 24. I believe it's Elihu speaking in this particular case. But he says these words, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. I have found a ransom. Sinners are in bondage to their sin, pride, whatever. Their sin, whether it's pride or lust or whatever it is, etc., etc., you name it. It's bondage, is it not? And the sinner must be ransomed. Ransom, the dictionary, or at least one dictionary, tells me that the, it's the act of redeeming a captive or seized property by payment of a consideration. That's what a ransom is. Does that ring a bell? Could you find something like that in the scriptures? I believe you could. In looking at that definition, I saw at the end of a couple of options, it said, archaic, to atone for. Archaic, thank God it's not archaic. Atonement is not archaic, it's not old fashioned. God provided a ransom for us in our lost, helpless, captive in our own sins condition. He provided a ransom. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Jehovah hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
I have found a ransom. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Jehovah laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of us all. Every one, every sin, every child of God, every elect person ever committed, all means something, all. The Father laid the iniquity of his elect upon his Son. He paid for our transgressions and iniquities. He granted peace with God through his loving death, through his dying love. Christ died that we might live and live unto him. Forgiveness through another, capital A, another. God's provision. Smite the shepherd. We read in Zechariah, the sword smites other, capital O, other than us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, found a ransom. Of course, he's providing it. It's as though the Father reached down. Remember that flaming sword we mentioned that keeps us from the tree of life, that keep, kept Adam, was there to keep Adam and Eve from the tree of life. It's as though, this is illustration, not exegesis, mind you. But it's as though the father reached down and plucked up that flaming sword which he had placed in the east of the Garden of Eden, the cherubim, and the flame of a sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. It is as though he plucked it up and cried, as we read in Zechariah, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Underline that. My shepherd. This is Jehovah talking, my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith Jehovah of hosts, smite the shepherd. Having awakened that sword, he plunged it into the heart of his only His only begotten son, even as Abraham was about to do to his only son. But this son of God was indeed the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's indeed the ram caught in the thicket, as it were. He was caught, we might well say. He was caught in the thicket of his love for his people. He was caught in the thicket of his love for the justification of God's law, his father's law. Jesus cited this from Zechariah. He made his own commentary in Matthew 26 upon Zechariah 13, 7. He himself attested that it is God that smites the shepherd. It is written, he said, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered abroad. Dramatic, dramatic note. The father said, as we've already pointed out, this shepherd is my shepherd. This shepherd is his son, my son. The covenant in Christ, ordered in all things ensure, David wrote, 
his last words in 2 Samuel 23 and in Hebrews 7:22 we read that Jesus himself is the surety of the new covenant. He is the surety. He guarantees it. He co-signed it, if you will, with his own life, his own blood. This gospel was preached to Abraham, we heard this morning. And we read from the lips of Christ himself in Luke 24, walking with those men on the road to Emmaus, walking with them. He began from the Old Testament, you remember. He began and he told them that from all the prophets, all the prophets spoke of me. And we read of that over again. Peter speaking in Acts in three or four different places speaking in Acts of all the prophets. All the prophets. Are you sure you want to do away with the Old Testament? All the prophets spoke of Christ. Peter said, they bore witness to the Christ. David said again in Psalm 51, thou desirest not or delight us not in sacrifice. Else would I give it. But I'm not going to give it. Thou delightest not in sacrifice. Else would I give it. If you delighted in it, I would give it. He says that in verse 16 of Psalm 51. Was David then a heretical Jew? He's not going to offer this sacrifice. It would seem that he knew it would seem that he knew. You remember, he's an Old Testament saint. The only way he could be saved is by keeping perfectly the law of God, right? It seems that he knew better, doesn't it? It would seem that he knew that it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. He was relying on the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, the sacrifice of Jehovah, the sacrifice of his only begotten son. Blessed is he, David wrote in Psalm 32, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom Jehovah imputeth not iniquity. In the context of its usage, again in Galatians, is Abraham, it's David, it's us. You did he make alive who were dead. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we were made alive and forgiven because God laid on his son the iniquity of us all. He laid it on him. He made it to light on him on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, the Lamb of God. How has it come to be that we were brought near, we may ask ourselves. Well, there's hardly a, an end to the many manners that God has chosen to use in his providence for bringing us to that ultimate question 
how can a man be just with God when we found ourselves lost and undone in our sins and helpless and the wrath of God resting over us from heaven? But the main thing is, was, is it not? We are brought near by the blood of Christ. I've collated some scriptures. 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Hebrews, 1 Peter. I've run them all together, if you don't mind. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion of the blood of Christ? But now in Christ Jesus, ye that once were far off are made nigh in the blood of Christ. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling them that have been defiled sanctify unto the cleanness of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish unto God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And Peter, knowing that ye were redeemed not with corruptible things, with silver and gold, from your vain manner of life handed down from your fathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, even the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, but his blood has been shed. Our forgiveness demanded the death of the Son of God. One man wrote these lovely words, no human plummet is long enough to sound the depths of that grace which led Jehovah of hosts to say of his only begotten, smite the shepherd. (laughs) You just can't get your mind and heart around that, can you? Forget not, forget not, forget not, David is calling. Forget not that God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How fearful, how fearful and evil is sin that it would call forth a sword against God's co-equal and darling son. Forget not how fearful and evil sin is that it would call forth a sword against God's co-equal and darling son. That story that we read in Luke 7, Christ, I'm not going to try to relate it, I'm going to read it, if, if I may, from Luke 7, a few verses. Luke 7, beginning at 44. Remember the Pharisee that had Jesus to his house for dinner, to put it that way. And the woman came in and she washed Christ's feet with this ointment, or with her tears, and she poured ointment on him, and the Pharisee criticized, and Jesus. Turning to the woman, he said unto Simon, 
Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath wetted my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Thou gavest me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but she hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we confess our need of thy help to remember, to forget not. We do remember, but we want to remember every moment. Please help us to do so. To never forget the blood of the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. Just stand please for the benediction. John 1.29 Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world.